as someone who works full-time with the commute and has a family to take care of, you don't have time or energy to devote hours in the kitchen trying to whip up dinner for the family. That's exactly why I created my ultimate kitchen guide for quick and easy meals. In this guide, you'll find a list of foods that you should have on hand in your kitchen on a regular basis, along with tips on how to put things together on your plate to create a balanced anti-inflammatory meal. Imagine a world where you can come home and whip up a healthy meal in like 20 to 30 minutes and still have time to kick your feet up on the couch and catch up on your shows before bed. Yes, it's not a dream. It's your new reality. All you have to do is head to www.betterwithcarbo.com forward slash guide and grab your free copy today. That's betterwithcarbo.com forward slash guide. Get ready for healthier meals with less kitchen stress. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Inflamed in the Brain podcast. I'm Chrissy, your host, and today we're diving into a topic that's been on my mind a lot lately as a new mom, sleep. I'm Chrissy Carbo, registered dietitian and host of the Inflamed in the Brain podcast. Here we cut through the confusion and complexity of inflammatory health to deliver straightforward, bite-sized strategies and information you can easily apply to your life. Not too long ago, I was lost in a sea of information, overwhelmed by the challenges of inflammation. But through years of trial, education, and self-discovery, I learned to break free from the chaos of fad diets and cultivate a practical anti-inflammatory lifestyle that not only helped me stabilize my own diagnosis, but thrive with it. Whether you're an autoimmune warrior or simply seeking a healthier, uncomplicated life, you found your tribe. Join me as we explore realistic strategies that can make a profound difference in your life. So if you're ready to embrace a simpler, healthier way of living, you're in the right place, my friend. Let's dive in, learn, and grow together. Welcome to the Inflames in the Brain podcast. Let's get started. Not just because my own sleep routine is a bit all over the place and unpredictable at the moment, but sleep is actually a key player and keeping inflammation at bay. And to be honest, when it comes to sleep, it's not just about how many hours you're clocking in, it's about getting that solid, restful, and restorative kind of sleep. Our bodies crave it, and not just for the sake of waking up the next day feeling refreshed and energized, but it's during sleep that really important stuff happens. It's during sleep where we heal, our brains grow, we produce important hormones, and we produce immune mediators, which is really important for my fellow immune-boosting besties out there. Talking about the importance of sleep is a really big deal, especially when there's currently a rise in conditions like anxiety, depression, MS, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and dementia. It's really interesting to see how we tend to undervalue sleep in our society, and some of us even are really proud about how little we sleep pulling all-nighters, and we're still able to function the next day. Back when I was in college, before my diagnosis, I was living that typical student life where I would stay up really late studying or I was hanging out till 2 a.m. and still managing to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning for my classes or for my internship, and I would just depend on coffee to keep me going for the day. Looking back, the research connecting lack of sleep and neurodegenerative issues sheds light on why my own diagnosis kind of makes more sense now. And I'm not absolutely saying that lack of sleep in my late teenage, early 20s is what caused my diagnosis, but it certainly didn't help. Knowing what I know now as a dietitian in the integrative and functional medicine space and as someone living with autoimmunity, it's only natural for me to kind of look back and ID all of the things that 
came together to initiate my symptoms leading up to my diagnosis. Even now, years after my diagnosis, I catch myself sometimes thinking about what would have happened if I did things differently. I know that staying in that kind of headspace for too long really isn't productive, but it's kind of tough sometimes not to go there, especially when I feel like I'm being really inconvenienced by my diagnosis sometimes. But either way, I always find myself coming back to the present and just focusing on the cards that I've been given and navigating through that. So with that being said, today let's talk about why sleep is important and talk about how certain foods can help support sleep. Because yes, food has the potential to either help you sleep better or keep you tossing and turning at night. So earlier I had mentioned that sleep and neurodegeneration are related. Neurodegeneration means breakdown of brain tissue. If you're reading research, you might also see the term brain atrophy, which means the same thing, brain cell loss, and your brain is literally getting smaller. So with sleep loss, insomnia, and sleep deprivation, all of these things have been shown to cause cell and tissue breakdown in different parts of the brain. And then depending on where the breakdown is happening in your brain, that's when you'll start to experience behavioral and motor symptoms. Depending on the grouping of those symptoms, your doctor is going to give you a particular diagnosis. Some of the cells that are lost in the brain include glial cells, and these are like the support staff in your brain. They're needed to maintain and repair brain integrity, but the thing is, is when you're sleep-deprived, they become overworked employees. They become less efficient, and your body produces less of them. If you've ever worked at a place where they always seem to be short-staffed, so then you were overworked, and then morale in general was just really low, that's kind of what it's like to be a glial cell with a lot of stress including stress from sleep deprivation. Not only are some of these cells needed to maintain and repair your brain, but they also function to maintain the blood-brain barrier, which is kind of like a gate between your brain and the rest of your body. And then when you have less of these cells, the integrity of the barrier weakens, and then harmful pathogens can easily cross the barrier and cause inflammation in the brain. So sleep deprivation can not only damage the brain itself, but it also makes you more susceptible to damage from pathogens that cross the blood-brain barrier and can cause inflammation. A subset of these glial cells are microglial cells, which are like a security team for your brain. They patrol and protect your brain, and if they spot trouble, they initiate an inflammatory response to get rid of that threat. The thing is is if your brain is under prolonged stress, like from sleep deprivation, microglial cells will continue to release inflammatory cytokines and then cause more neuroinflammation and damage to the brain. So there you have two ways where sleep deprivation itself directly impacts brain health and can cause inflammation. Sleep deprivation can also cause inflammation in more indirect pathways, which include hormonal changes. Two key hormones in this context are ghrelin, also known as the hunger hormone because it's responsible for signaling hunger, and leptin, which is responsible for signaling satiety and fullness. When you lack sufficient sleep, the balance between ghrelin and leptin is disrupted, and studies show that sleep deprivation increases ghrelin levels, intensifying feelings of hunger, while simultaneously reducing leptin levels, making it harder for your body to recognize when it's full. 
This is considered to be a bit more indirect way to inflammation because the thought here is that increased ghrelin levels can increase your appetite for refined carbohydrates and sugar, which will result in hyperglycemia, overeating, and inflammation. There is research to support this. One study involving healthy young men deprived of just two hours of sleep demonstrated an increase of ghrelin levels and decreased peptide YY, which normally acts to suppress appetite. So just depriving yourself of two hours, which I feel like some of us do all of the time. I'm even guilty of doing it. Just two hours of sleep can increase your hunger hormone and will cause an increase of appetite because your PYY hormone is also suppressed. This hormonal imbalance does set the stage for overeating, especially foods rich in sugars and refined carbs. Speaking from experience as someone who recently went through the newborn stage where I was lucky if I got like three hours of sleep at a time in the first three months of my son's life, this is absolutely true. Back when Arthur was just a baby fresh out of the oven, I wasn't sleeping, which is natural because babies need to eat every two to three hours. But because of that lack of sleep, I did crave and I did eat a lot of sugar. And I don't think it was just because I was tired and I wanted something fast. I think it's also just because I wanted something comforting. I put sugar in my coffee. I ate Frosted Flakes for breakfast. We had pizza for dinner. We ate pastas and sandwiches. And again, I don't think that it was just because of the craving alone for those particular foods, but I think I craved comfort in a time where I was very uncomfortable. And then there's some more obvious stuff, right? That you don't necessarily need research to tell you that it's true. Like if you're not sleeping well, you're more tired and fatigued and you're less likely to exercise, which in the long run can lead to weight gain and inflammation. So with all that being said, if you're struggling with sleep, there are some foods that can help you out here. Some foods you may want to add to your diet would include things like cherries, olive oil, bananas, grapes, and almonds. There's this thing that's been circling around TikTok that I've been seeing on my For You page, and I don't remember what it's called exactly. I don't know if it's called a sleepy time cocktail or a mom cocktail or something like that, but essentially what it is is cherry juice and I think it's seltzer water or sparkling water, and I might be missing another ingredient here, but I think the big picture here is the cherry juice. Apparently this thing makes you sleep straight through the night, like undisrupted. I haven't tried it yet. And since recording this episode, I kind of do want to try it. Um, But if you try it and it works, let me know. I'd love to hear about it. But apparently cherries are one of the foods that have a lot of melatonin in it, along with the olive oils, grape, bananas, and almonds, I think I mentioned. So melatonin is a hormone that we all make and people often think that they need melatonin because it'll help them put them to sleep and stay asleep, which that's not necessarily melatonin's function. It doesn't put you to sleep. Melatonin actually helps you feel more ready for sleep by lowering your body temperature and it also interprets the light-dark cycle of the day to help you feel more sleepy as the sun goes down. Melatonin is also a key regulator of the HPA access that we all have. And I think I have another podcast episode where I go into more detail about the HPA access, but um, I'll link to it in the show notes. But melatonin is a regulator of the HPA access that regulates cortisol. And cortisol is actually needed to help you promote better sleep too. So cortisol levels in your body are at its peak during the day to help you feel awake. And then they lower by the time that the day ends and reaches nighttime so that you feel tired. 
and elevated cortisol levels are associated with lower melatonin levels. So along with addressing those stress issues, remember, because we also have elevated cortisol levels when we're super stressed, eating foods that are rich in melatonin will help regulate your HPA access, which will also help keep your cortisol levels in check. Another thing you might want to consider is adding a variety of foods to your diet that are naturally high in tryptophan. These might include quinoa, beef, pork, salmon, lobster, turkey, oats, pumpkin seeds, chia seeds, and tofu. Now, why is tryptophan really important for a good night's sleep? Well, it's an essential amino acid that serves as a precursor to the key hormone melatonin, which we just talked about. So you need tryptophan in order to make melatonin. But the kicker here is that lack of sleep can actually deplete your tryptophan stores. Sleep deprivation, whether it's from a lifestyle choice where you're just choosing to stay up really late or erratic sleep patterns, more like you have a newborn and you don't know how much sleep you're going to get, accelerates the consumption of tryptophan. So the more sleep deprived you are, the more your body is using whatever tryptophan you have to make melatonin. So it's really important to make sure that you're getting enough tryptophan from your diet. Being an essential amino acid means that our bodies cannot produce tryptophan on its own. So it's really important to make sure that you're eating these high tryptophan foods that we just talked about, not only to support your body's ability to make melatonin, but you also want to safeguard your tryptophan reserves against any kind of factors that are causing sleep deprivation in your life. So now that we know some foods that support sleep, are there foods that actually keep you up? Well, for one, you want to try to stay away from caffeinated beverages and food before bed. This differs from person to person. So for example, I can't have coffee after 12 p.m. or else I'm just going to have trouble falling asleep. It's just something that I found out about myself and it is what it is. My husband, on the other hand, he can have a cup of coffee right after dinner and fall asleep just fine. But it's not just coffee here. You want to just watch out for things like soda, green tea, black tea, and energy drinks. These will notoriously make it challenging for you to fall asleep. Some other foods you might want to try to stay away from would be spicy foods or fried foods. Not only can these foods irritate your digestive system, which can cause sleep disturbances, but they can also trigger acid reflux symptoms, which are terrible when you're trying to sleep. And finally, you want to stay away from alcohol too close to bed. There's a lot of conflicting arguments here because some people think that alcohol actually helps them fall asleep. But even though alcohol can make you feel sleepy in the beginning, research shows that it wakes you up as it's leaving your system. So as your body is processing it and metabolizing it, it can begin to wake you up. And I don't know about you, but when I would go out with my friends and drink a decent amount of alcohol, I would find myself up and at them at three o'clock in the morning, almost like ready to start the day. And then I would have the hardest time trying to get myself to go back to sleep. One other thing to just generally keep in the back of your mind is that you don't want to eat anything too close to bedtime, even if it's not a spicy food or a fried food. My rule of thumb is usually like three hours before bed, not just because you want to avoid acid reflux type of symptoms, but your GI tends to slow down before bed. So you want to allow adequate digestion of food so that your gut has a break and that you're not waking up with weird gut symptoms overnight. So sleep deprivation has the potential to cause inflammation in the brain and brain cell loss. And there are a couple of things that you can do about it, like eating foods that are naturally high in melatonin and tryptophan, 
But before I leave you today, there's a few things that I want you to keep in mind. The National Sleep Foundation says that adults should get a solid seven to nine hours of sleep. But one thing to keep in mind is your current season of life. If you're a new parent or you do shift work where you're occasionally working overnight, you're not likely getting enough sleep and that's okay. It might not feel that way in the moment, believe me, I know, but it's a temporary season of life and your brain has this amazing ability to heal and fix itself. There's this concept of neuroplasticity where your brain literally changes itself based on internal and external factors. So even if you're in a really rough season of life and sleep hasn't been all that great recently, just know that showing your brain some TLC by eating foods that we talked about today and implementing some of the sleep hygiene concepts we talked about, like not eating too close before bedtime and other sleep hygiene habits, your brain has the ability to heal. And because sleep is needed to support our immune system and alleviate neuroinflammation and prevent systemic inflammation, meaning inflammation throughout your entire body, you really do want to prioritize those other sleep habits too. Like an hour before bed, you want to try to have a quiet, calm, and cool environment. Stay off of social media. That is a really big one for me. Avoid high energy, stressful conversations with people in your house. Maybe get it out on paper if you really got to get it out. Read a book, practice some breath work, journal, cool your room down. I personally like to have a cup of Tulsi bedtime tea, but not too close to bed or else I'll wake up a bunch in the middle of the night to pee. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. I really hope that you found some value in this episode. If you did, please, please leave a review and share it with a friend. Reach out to me on Instagram. I'm at Better with Carbo. Let me know what your sleep routine looks like, what foods you're looking to add to your diet. Let me know if you tried that sleepy time cocktail, whatever the hell it's called. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of our anti-inflammatory convos. Until next time, same time, same place.